Motors killed from, and, and they're vice versa. So when we do this a little bit later, what we're doing is we're saying that we love our God, both hands. We're connecting our cognitive and our heart, our emotions, our, our feelings, are all right brain functions. Most of you are left brain dominant. And uh, we want to go ahead and engage because what it does is it reinforces the learning. So I just wanted to make sure everybody knew that I'm not doing weird stuff up here. So anyway, all right. I've got a I've got a song that the sermon is going to be revolve around, and then we're going to get into a story. You're on.
so far of the mark. You know that. I, you people may think I'm kidding, but you know it's the truth. I'm the last person that should be up here in this pulpit, in this church probably. So I'm asking for you to intervene, a miracle as it were. If I misrepresent you in any way, however you do this, make sure that you represent yourself to them through me in the right way and that they would see you and not me. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I'm going to start out in class in English. It's going to be a poem. If I can find it. I pleasurized part of this from a Jethro Tull album from the 70s called Alkaline, but the rest I wrote. Fellow Christians, brothers and sisters, what have we done? Locked him in a golden cage. Made him bend to our religion. Him resurrected from the grave. Our bloody Christian church has darkened history. Seems to mostly go against his will, and we are erring still. If that's all we could see, he would be... I'm sorry, let me start again. Um, he would be the God of nothing, if that's all that we could see. He is the God Almighty, the Great and Holy One. It is through Him that all things came to be. It's His heart's desire to reside within you and me. Why did I use both hands? Remember? One side says... I cognitively choose to love my Lord. Maybe that's backwards. And the other side says, like you pledge allegiance to the flag that you know you're saying, I, I love my country. I'm devoted to my country. We want to be devoted to our Lord, love, and cognitive. Cognitive controls love. So both hands. There was war in heaven. People didn't even know that there was a law of love and a government of God. All the angels and everybody didn't even know that there was any different way. And, and nobody understands why Lucifer started getting a prideful heart and a selfish heart. And he got worse and worse. And one day he wanted to be God. He was so convincing. He was the brightest and best of all the angels. The, I forget what you call him, but he was the... Number three guy after, after the Godhead. He was so convincing that a whole third of the angels followed him. And his new law is me first. I want to be the most important. Sin, selfishness, all followed. There was war in heaven. Lucifer and his third fought against the two-thirds and... and God, and they were kicked out of heaven. They only had access to our world through one tree. When God created our world, he warned Adam and Eve, stay away from that tree. It was a test. And as you know, I'm, and I don't have time to go through that story, but Eve ventured into the tree, 
Satan was able to convince her to disobey God. And now every one of us is born a rebel on the wrong side of the fence. All the other worlds, and of course heaven, are still have a heart love connection with our Father, but we became his enemies. God in his love, everything God did in creating the worlds in our world, everything he did, he is motivated by love. He's a pretty smart guy. You can even take his creation, a one-celled creature, a little small one-celled creature, and we're still learning how complex it is. People used to think a one-celled creature was simple, and it's not. He's a pretty smart guy. But every, I shouldn't say guy, uh, our God, um, but everything he did when he wrote this Bible, it is calling us back to him. And it's motivated by love. He wants to win the hearts of the human race back to him. So we're going to go ahead. I, I know I probably shouldn't uh, <laughs> sing, but I'm going to go ahead and do that today. So you just have to bear with me. Plug your ears if you have to. All right. The song that we just saw up there said, uh, The Lord spoke to Moses from the burning bush, the burning bush, the burning bush. The Lord spoke to Moses from the burning bush, for he's the Lord our God. Take your shoes off, Moses, you're on holy ground, holy ground, holy ground. Take your shoes off, Moses, you're on holy ground, for he's, hello, for I'm the Lord your God. What does the burning bush tell us? It's an introduction, God introducing himself to Moses. First of all, Moses is out tending sheep, and it doesn't say there was a lightning storm or anything, but there's this bush on fire. Of course, that catches Moses' attention. And he's watching this burning bush. That's peculiar. That's really strange. That bush has been burning and burning, and it's not burning up. What's with that bush? That's weird. So he goes close to the bush to, to investigate, and God speaks to Moses through the bush, or in, in the bush. God introduces himself to Moses. What do we learn from God's introduction? Take your shoes off because you're on holy ground that he is a holy, good God. So much higher and great. And, and uh, it tells us that when we are in the presence of our God, that we need to be humble, respectful, for he is God. In heaven, the four creatures around the throne the four and twenty were shown in John's uh, vision of heaven. Perfect beings who have never sinned constantly praise our, our, our Father and our, and our God. How much more should we? But we need to be respectful of him. The Bible tells us that when two or three meet in Jesus' name or the Lord's name, where are we? 
on holy ground. He's in our presence. For centuries, the church has erred, and that's why I read the poem. We are the church, really. For centuries, they said that only the priests could talk to God, could read the Bible, and all the laity could only get access to God through the clergy. Wow, that's so wrong. Did you see that God talked to Moses personally here and said, I'm your God. Personal, heart connection. In the 60s, I was only eight in 1968, but I remember seeing a group of hippies down at somewhere at the beach. We could see the Queen Mary off afar. These memories are a little bit foggy. They were protesting something. They were singing. They had the, the, the bright clothes. Someone there, I was with 10 feet. I, uh, someone there really needed deodorant, but that's really not what, what I'm trying to get at. We questioned our parents back in the 60s. We questioned their values, and good things came out of that. We have wonderful songs. The, the, that movement, that questioning movement, actually pervaded into the church. We have great songs that came from that time. There was a lot of good, and, and it, it talked about a personal Lord and a personal Savior. But it went too far. There's a Jean's Bible, people come as you are. Um, we need to remember that when we come into the Lord's house, we are on holy ground. That he is our God. He's our personal Savior, friend and Savior. But So, that... Oh, one more thing. God is so pure, so perfect, so holy that he had to hide himself from man in a burning bush in this instance, in the person of Jesus, because sin and his perfect holiness cannot coexist. But he needed to get close to us. If he had come in all his brightness and glory, it would have been like Hiroshima, 1945, December, 9 o'clock in the morning, fat boy explodes. And we know there were people on the steps in front of the building. We know there were people on the bridge, even though they were totally vaporized. No ash, gone completely. We know they're there because their reverse shadows were burned into the concrete. And they were there for many, 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 many years. And the shadows were, they weren't. And Jesus comes again, those of us who don't take him up on his love offer of come unto me and be saved, will be destroyed by the uh, brightness of his coming. Just know how powerful he is. Enough on that. I needed a John 3.16. The, the, the video didn't have a John 3.16 verse. So I had to write one. And I came up with two phrases that Jesus showed his love for me on Calvary and Jesus gave his life for me on Calvary. I, I liked them both. So rather than the same sentence twice, I, I wanted to use both. 
And in John 3.16, the greatest act of love possible that anyone could ever do for somebody else, give their life for somebody, requires a response. So I changed the end a little bit too. It says, he told us that he was our personal God. I'm your God. I accept. Lord, you are the Lord, my God. So it's a little bit different. Jesus showed his love for me on Calvary, Calvary, Calvary. Jesus gave his life for me at Calvary, for he's the Lord, my God. John 3, 16. Everybody knows it, right? As most of us know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that who should ever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It says, for God so loved the world. I'm going to be a little bit ridiculous here just to make a point. In six days, God created the earth. Each day he did something different. He created the light. He took the water from the air and the water in the ocean, and he formed the world. And then he took dry land and separated it from the waters. And each day he said, this is good. He was, he liked what he had done. But uh, Jesus didn't die for oceans, continents, islands, and polar caps. He created the flowers, bushes, trees, all the plants. Jesus didn't die for Piscoya trees and, and the likes. The next day, I think it was the fifth day, he created all the life in the ocean, the uh, whales, fish, crustaceans, all of that. And on the sixth day, he created all the land animals, reptiles and, and uh, mammals and, and birds. And I'm sorry, PETA, Jesus didn't die for whales or elephants. Of course, Jesus died for humanity. When he says he so loved the world, he loves you and me the people when he created the world it says he called the stuff into existence did he you know it also says that when he created man adam you are the creation of his hands he actually created adam out of clay and eve later he took a rib and created eve with his hands he loves us oh he loves us and <laughs> Let me uh, catch up. He wants to call us back, like I've already said. And I want to rewrite John 3.16, just a little bit. Just put it in my own words. Can I have your hands? Come on, we're in fifth grade, everybody. I want you to put them on each shoulder. What you're doing is you're saying, you're, you're, you're engaging your left and right brain. Love, cognitive. Jesus loves me, or God loves me so much that he died for me so that I could live with him for eternity. It's personal. You know that Jesus knows everything. God knows everything about each one of us. How many hairs are on our head? On our head. He knows everything about us. And that if one of us chooses not to accept his gift, 
you know that there's going to be an empty spot in God's heart forever? But he's not going to force anyone. There will be nobody in heaven that was forced to be there. You, you, you must respond. And he's calling. Um, another fun little exercise. Tap your fingers right in front of your heart. God loves me. God is worthy of my love and my affection. I love you, God. Sometimes. Everyone else needs to say it too. Oh, yes, please. I was hoping that you would. Jesus loves me. He is worthy of, of my love and my thankfulness, my devotion. I love you, Lord. Sometimes we have to act, and sometimes the feelings come later. Like I already mentioned, the only acceptable response, and we're going to get into that, back to your Lord, to, to properly be in alignment with your Lord, your only response must be rooted in love, the only real lasting. Sure, we have to, we have to know that it is good, but we have to respond only in love, or it won't be real. It won't last. So, let's get into that. Obedience. The Lord said to Moses, how does it go? No, it's a, go yonder Moses and smite that rock. Smite that rock. Smite that rock. Go yonder Moses and smite that rock. For I'm the Lord your God. Obedience. Why do we obey God? What should be our motivation for God? Do you know that those who are saved, the Bible is really clear on this. It, it, all through the Bible. They keep the commandments. They have a testimony of, of a relationship with their Lord. So, actually, we can't keep the commandments without having a relationship with our Lord where our will is submitted and we are receiving His grace and His power to do it. So it's really Him keeping the commandments through us. But we can only do it, our only motivation that really counts is that out of love, what He did for me, I love you, Lord. I want to do what you want me to do. That is the only response that counts, out of love. You're not doing it to make a merit and say, look at me, God, I'm, I'm doing... No, 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 it's out of love. It, you, it doesn't get any other... There's no other benefit other than that. Okay, on to the, to the part of the story that it's the hardest for me to do because I grew up in a church that pushed works. We don't do that anymore. So it's hard for me. So your prayer is going up right now. I, I just want to present this clear, precise, and in, in, in the way God would like me to do so. 
stand still, Moses, watch salvation work. Watch salvation work. Watch salvation work. Stand still, Moses, watch salvation work. For I'm the Lord your God. Is that true? Only God? Just God? I don't do anything? When we get to heaven and we're standing after the week's journey there and we're standing on this giant, I guess, crystal. I don't know what it is. John called it the sea of glass. And it had like electricity sparks or lightning bolts going through it. And we're all given a crown of victory. Where do we throw that crown? At Jesus' feet. Because all of salvation, dying on the cross, and I'm going to try to get into how he applies his blood from his, from the crucifixion and his, in our lives as we live with him and for him, just in a, in a little bit. But all of that, every bit of that, is God. I can't do anything to save myself except thank Him, ask Him into my heart, submit my will to Him, walk with Him. We do have a part, don't we? I have to daily ask Him in. I have to daily walk with Him. And as I'm walking with Him, how He applies His blood, I'm driving down the freeway and I see this big billboard, and it says something about a gentleman's club, and it has a real uh, pretty girl on there, and I have these impure thoughts. Right then and there, I say, oh, Lord, take that. I didn't, I didn't put myself in that situation. I couldn't help it. He applies, he sprinkles his blood on my life. It's a miracle, and pretty soon, I can go right by those freeway signs, and they don't faze me, because he's changed my heart. And, and it, I don't have time to get in it. But that is how, as we walk with the Lord, I am justified the minute I accept his gift and ask him into my heart. There's nothing more I can do. In heaven, the book, sorry, I got, a, I got ADD. Um, the minute we are justified, it says pardoned by our name. The perfect life of Jesus. But we still have to live for him. And he, that's called justification. You're justified instantly. Sanctification is a lifetime process. As we walk with the Lord, like I said, you go through the day. Boy, there's uh, somebody who's really I don't like very much. God, give me the grace to, to show your love to them. I mean, I, I, you walk with God. You talk to him as you go through the day. He's applying his blood to your life, cleansing you, making you more like him. Is that all? What's that? Wow. Ooh, wow, wow. Did you guys hear that? Somebody just asked me, don't I have to pray and read my Bible to be saved? <laughs> what do you think about that? Wow. Dan and Elaine, can you help me with this one? Can I just ask a couple of questions of you? I don't know. If, um, I, I want them to hear. 
I'm not sure how long ago this was, but you two celebrated a milestone in your uh, life together not too long ago. How long have you guys been married? 66 years coming. Woo! What an inspiration. Do you know that even in the Christian church, marriage lasts five to seven years and is divorced? I, I, where'd you guys fall in love? Where was that? I hope you fell in love. I need to, I need to make sure you fell in love first. It's not a marriage of convenience. Where did you guys meet? We met at our school in Lacombe, Alberta, Canada. So you met at school in Canada. And if I remember correctly, was it on stair steps yes. somewhere? <laughs> you can tell us. <laughs> well, actually, I uh, was still a Catholic when we first met because I was there not at Seventh Avenue, but at Seventh Avenue College. And we did meet. Uh, she happened to be cleaning one of the rooms, and I forgot something in the classroom. So I was coming up the stairs. And, uh, no, you were no, coming down the stairs. I was coming down the stairs. I got my, by my book, and she was going up the stairs. And all at once, we met right at the first landing, and she looked up and almost bumped into me, and I looked down, and I thought, whoa, I've never seen her before. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know, I've been there in school until, uh, what is it, about six months, and I have never seen her. And, uh, and uh, there she was. 18, 16 years old, <laughs> and uh, with her face looking at me, and I thought, whoa. So it was love at first sight in a way, but I had to earn. That's what I wanted to ask. So yeah. you loved Elaine, and you did, did you love Dan before you got married? Oh, yes. <laughs> and as you courted, yeah. did, you, did your love grow in such a way that Elaine... You wanted Dan's happiness and his in front of your own yeah. to put him first? Actually, when I accepted Christ as my personal Savior, and what you just said in your sermon, it was beautiful. God created everything, and he created man in his own image. So one of the secrets is that when I saw her, I said to myself, she belongs to God. So I never felt that I owned her. I never felt that I had to take possession of her and uh, be responsible for her. She was made in the image of God. And the reason that I think that we have been having such a wonderful time in life is because I think I consider it a real privilege to live with somebody who belongs to God. doesn't belong to me belongs to God. So you have to treat somebody that belongs to God very graciously, kindly, lovingly, because that's the way God wants you to do. Okay, I'm going to ask you the same question. Go ahead. Did you learn to love Elaine as your love grew, that you wanted her happiness and her needs? Did you put that in front of your own needs? say this, that in reality, uh, real true love is where you're willing to do whatever you can to make the other person happy, healthy, 
strong and wonderful Christian. Uh, may I just share something with you, Mike? Oh, quick, yes, please. It's rather interesting that our love for God is great. However, talk into his ear so he can hear you. However, Michael, it's rather interesting <laughs> that true love could be summarized in this manner. Uh, well, let me let me back up a little bit. When somebody tells you I love you, well, let's even back up a little further. Talk so Mike can hear you then. <laughs> and that's this. All of us have been in a position where somebody had you in the right position and they would say, I love you. Wouldn't it be nice if right to begin with, you would have backed up and said, what do you mean when you say you love me? And I've given this advice to quite a few people since then, and some of the people in the world look at me and they say, oh, you mean you can actually ask somebody what do you mean when you say you love me? I says, absolutely. But then wait and see what they say. When you wait, they'll say, well, you've never asked me that before. Well, of course I haven't, but this time I'm asking you, what did you mean when you said you love me? And if they say, well, I love you because you make nice cookies. I love you because you do this for me. You do this for me. You do this for me. And everything is for me, for me, for me. Then you have somebody who says, I love you, who's going to take advantage of you for their own good. But if that person says, when I say I love you, here's what I mean. I want to make sure that you understand what God is love, what God's love is, and that's what I mean when I say I love you. I want you to be happy. I want you to uh, have a happy home. I want you to uh, have the best experience of knowing who you are and how God loves you. In fact, when I say I love you, what I really mean is that I would do anything for you even help you to have life at its best here on earth and even have eternal life. That's what I mean when I say I love you. Would you die for her? Yes. <laughs> and when you look at that analysis, God expects the same from us. When we love him, he says, what do you mean when you say you love me? Okay, you're making my point. Very good. <laughs> well done. Okay. That's what it is. That's, and, and then we You're say to him, well... <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. No, because that was my okay, point. Well, I, didn't I, was, I was going to ask Dan if he still loved Elaine with that first love. Oh, 66 yes. years ago. Listen, listen, Michael. If I may just say something right here. When Elaine and I were married for just a year and a half, we were at camp meeting where they had religious meetings, and we were just married for a year and a half, and when we left the meeting place, there was a couple in front of us who looked old. <laughs> and they were walking like this out of the meeting, holding hands. And my wife and I were just walking. You know, after all, we didn't <laughs> have to hold hands to support each other. <laughs> we, were just, we were just walking. And all at once, I know, you know, and Elaine tells me, shut up sometimes. <laughs> and I went ahead and I looked at the couple and I said, hey, 
how long have you been married? And they said, 40 years. And I said, and you still hold hands and love each other? You know what he said? He didn't answer. He said, how long have you been married? I said, a year and a half. <laughs> you know what he said? You don't even know what love is all about. <laughs> and started walking. So we all grow in love to each other and also to God. Continue, Mike. So my point, I still want to ask just a couple more questions. Sure, go ahead. When you were in what I call the really busy period, how many children did you guys have, by the way? Four. I know I met two of them, one in my house, and one came here and gave us a presentation on her trip to, uh, to when she was down in Peru and, and Bolivia. And, and there was a, a, a band here one time, a bluegrass band, that somehow was related to you? Yeah. Was that your grandchildren? or Grandchildren. Actually? Grandchildren. Wow. How many grandchildren, grandchildren do you children, have? Ten grandchildren. Wow. Four great-grandchildren. <laughs> when you were going through the busy period with children in diapers and you're having several churches at once in Canada, or maybe you're down here at Loma Linda at that time in school, I don't know. I, I know that that all happened. Were there pressures on your marriage to pull you apart that you yes. couldn't spend the time you needed together? Did that ever happen? He spent three years the general conference in Washington and me and Loma Linda and just every three months or so. Wow. <laughs> so it took effort, didn't it? You persevered. You, 66 years. You persevered. It took effort. Oh, yes. Uh, just one thing. Uh, Michael, would you believe it? In, uh, on December the 7th, Pearl Harbor Day, and you referred to it, I will be 90 years old. <laughs> we're going to go to bed that night and the next morning she will wake up and say I've never slept with a 90 year old <laughs> thank you so much the point I wanted to make by that as I ask you is prayer and Bible study and witnessing for your Lord required for salvation the reason I brought those two up here if we don't have a heart connection with our God, we're not going to make it. It has to be a love connection. It's not easy at times. That's why I asked them. So, wow, it's not easy. When people have a victorious Christian life with their Lord and Savior, they don't only study the Bible. So I'm asking the question. They sit at the feet of Jesus. What do I mean? Today we talked about the burning bush, the scripture of the burning bush. You would sit down and say, Lord, teach me. What do you have for me in that scripture? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, he will answer you as you're studying. It's an active. When you pray, you can't say silly things like, um, now I lay, lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to cleave. Should I die before I wake? So, you know, uh, prayer must be real. A real communication. You must work on your relationship. I am not going to tell you that struggling Christians, that God's not going to save struggling Christians like me. I hope not. But I am going to say that, I have to say, you're on shaky ground. If, if he's still pleading with your heart and, and 
Sometimes you're on the holy ground, and sometimes you're on the shaky ground. There's good news, because Jesus has an answer. I don't have time to get into that today. If they let me back up here, or somebody else can have a sermon on how to learn to love your God. The seven churches, the first part of Revelation, five of them had heart troubles with their Lord, and Jesus had the answer. <laughs> so we can get into that, and how to cure heart trouble. Um, but that is the only thing that's going to take us through, and it does take effort. And I, I don't want to call it work and works, but you do need to spend time with your Lord, and you do need to ask Him to take your will, guide you, lead you. And man, I am so out of time. I wanted to sing nothing but the blood of Jesus. Can we still do that? It's in your bulletin. We have a... Oh, I'm way out of time. Can we still sing that? Yeah. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Anybody? Nobody said no? Okay, we're singing. Yeah. We're singing. This is not in the Adventist hymnal. I have no idea why not. I just don't know. It was written in 1960s. It should have been. There's nothing in here that's bad. It's, it's good. It's simple. It's good Southern gospel. So, um, could somebody help me. Crystal, can you help me? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 